rise up against me. Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. But you, Lord, are a shield around me. My glory, the one who lifts my head high. I call out to the Lord and he answers me from his holy mountain. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear, though tens of thousands assail me on every side. Arise, Lord. Deliver me, my God. Well, let me start this morning with a hypothetical story. I'll tell the story of Trent and Abby, and this will help us. They're both uh, committed Christians, love the Lord, and Trent has worked for the same engineering company for 17 years. He's a standout employee who works hard, is extremely dependable, and is good at what he does. The company is presently looking to promote someone into a new position they have created with higher pay, more vacation time, and better benefits. Three people have put their name in the hat for this position, Trent and two other individuals, and they've only been there about four years. So the most likely candidate for this new position is Trent. Been with the company longer, has more experience, and is better degreed than the other two men. On this day, Trent leaves the house excited, but with some normal apprehension, as today is the day they will announce who gets the promotion. Returning home at the end of the day, his wife Abby is waiting on pins and needles. She wants to hear the hopefully good news. Sitting down together in the living room with a discouraged look on his face and a depressed tone in his voice, Trent reveals that he did not get the promotion. It went to one of the other two men. And the deciding factor, it turns out, one of the other two men was related to somebody higher up in the company. So nepotism won the day over experience, qualifications, and faithfulness. Now the odd thing is, Trent is really at peace and he's really not that angry or upset. Abby, on the other hand, is like, did you give them a piece of your mind? Did you ask them how they could do this to you? Did you let them know this wasn't fair? Did you get upset with them? The thing is, her responses were totally rational. Trent acknowledged the hurt, acknowledged the injustice, he acknowledged the disappointment. Still, Trent made it clear to Abby that he was at peace and that no, he didn't respond with anger or even with hate toward anyone at the company. He was still very thankful for his job. He did acknowledge maybe looking for a new job with more opportunities was a possibility, but for now he was at peace. Now, as I said, Abby's response is totally rational, right? It would seem, in this instance, responding to the hurt, the injustice, and the disappointment, responding to this slight with some anger, well, would make sense. Trent's response almost seems irrational. How can he be so calm, so gentle, so at peace about the situation? Now, now note one thing about Trent, right? Trent said he didn't feel any, uh, he didn't uh, necessarily... Um, respond with any anger at the injustice. It didn't say he didn't feel any anger. He might have felt anger, but his emotions were in check. His emotions were under control, and he seems to have put his trust in the Heavenly Father. The question is, what is the secret to Trent's response? Well, we're going to talk about it today. The secret to his response is how any of us can respond in a similar situation like that. 
uh, with the strength of a gentle spirit. We're going to talk about that today, what that exactly looks like. And we're in week nine of this series, Fruitology, looking primarily at the fruits of the spirit, but kind of the theology behind what does it look like to bear spiritual fruit as compared to just, you know, doing something in our own flesh. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, we talked about last week, and then gentleness, we'll talk about this morning, and then self-control. And again, one of the ways we've talked about this, like love is the core fruit and there's all these flavors. Well, there's another illustration I kind of came up with I haven't been able to share yet, but it's kind of like the apple illustration, right? It's kind of like love is the core fruit and then there are several types of apple or apples, if you can think about it in that sense, right? Like red delicious would be love. Okay, that's the core fruit. That's the core love. And then honey crisp would be joy and Empire would be peace, and Fuji would be patience, and a gala apple would be kindness, and Golden Delicious would be goodness, and Granny Smith would be faithfulness, and you can go on and to kind of draw the comparisons between apples and the different flavors, and we're down to these last two, gentleness and self-control, and so we're going to talk about that today, gentleness and meekness today, self-control next week, and here's the reality, so out of 20 translations, Uh, 20 of the translations I looked at use the word gentleness like our ESV does. Three of the more literal translations use the word meekness and a couple of newer translations use the word humility. Now I think gentleness and meekness are both great great translations. Gentleness is helpful in in maybe understanding how we apply it in our life because we know what it is like to be a gentle person or have a gentle spirit. Meekness is really kind of helpful because what meekness does is meekness kind of helps us understand a little more what this word really means. Like, what is this word? What does it mean? What does gentleness really look like? What does meekness really look like? And as we look at the word meek, and we'll do that today, we can kind of get an idea, a better understanding of what this fruit actually is. Now, here's the thing. A couple weeks ago, about three weeks ago, I mentioned this this simple uh, issue here. Is there any order to the significance of the fruit of the spirit are they just randomly thrown on a list or and i don't think they are like love we said is the core fruit and then everything else is a flavor of that and i really think that this this is kind of what i came up with in 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 kind of studying this out a little bit there's not a lot said about it but it seems like there are three sets of threes and so love joy and peace deals with my relationship with god patience kindness and goodness deal with my relationship with you with other people and then This last set of three, faithfulness last week, today gentleness and self-control is my relationship with myself. And what I I see going on here is progressively in each of these fruits, we go deeper and deeper into spiritual maturity. Like, as I said, love, joy, and peace, it's like what you initially feel when you're saved. And then as I grow and mature, I'm, I'm more patient and I'm more kindness, more goodness towards others. And then I get down here to the end to my personal fidelity to my self-control and to what we'll talk about today, meekness, which is really, really challenging. So so each flavor represents a progressively deeper spiritual maturity. And it's almost like if if you can get to these last three, like today, meekness, if meekness is in your life, it helps you produce the other, the first six fruits even more so. Meekness is like a more consistent reality of our life that, that kind of covers all of the other fruits, oversees all the other fruits, like, like self-control and faithfulness does as well. So here's our big idea today. Okay, meekness can be most difficult when it is most important. Think about that, right? 
We'll see today meekness is this quality that when we most need it in our life, when it's most important, it is the most difficult. Uh, and yet, because it is a fruit of the Spirit, we can display it in our life. And again, as I said, this is not a topic or quality we talk a lot about. We talk about humility maybe, but not so much meekness. And what is meekness and what does it look like? And we'll define it today through the scriptures and especially through the life of Jesus. We'll see a a good picture of what meekness is and how powerful meekness can be. The reality is, uh, the way the Bible presents meekness to us and the way it defines it for us may be a bit surprising to us, really, in the end. Like, That's what meekness is, okay, as we look at it this morning. And so the idea is that meekness can be easily misunderstood. So we'll define it today and we'll 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 tear down some of the common myths maybe that surround this issue of meekness. So let's start in 1 Peter 2. This is what Rick read earlier. Let's read through it here again. And we'll use this description of Jesus to show what meekness looks like. And so the first part kind of aimed at you and me, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of of God. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you are straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseers of your souls. And so discovering the truth about meekness and defining the gentle spirit of Jesus this morning through five simple truths about meekness that we will look at. And here is the first one. Meekness is the fruit and expression of the Holy Spirit. And of course, you're probably thinking, well, duh, right? We've that we know that that's but let's think about this just briefly in general terms and understand again meekness is the expression of the holy spirit in my life and we need to think about this in terms of like jesus right when we think about the life of jesus as a man remember this verse from last week great indeed we confess is the mystery of godliness he was manifested in the flesh vindicated by the spirit what we what we say how did jesus go 33 and a half years and live a faithful life and never sin because the Holy Spirit, because he walked in the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit kept him from sin and that's exactly how you and I can go through life and, and sin. I mean, we are, we are in Christ, we are sinless, but we can live a life where we sin less if we simply walk in the Spirit, the vindicated by the Spirit. Now, he operated in the Spirit. And, and this is really important because he didn't go through life, as we said last week, playing his God card, saying, ha ha, I'm faithful and true, I can't sin. No, he didn't do that. He went through life like you and me, under the power of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit kept him from sinning. Now we know that this is the challenge we face in this series though, right? The big challenge we face is noting the difference between a fruit and a work. 
And so when we talk about meekness today, it's not, okay, I gotta be meek. I gotta try to be meek. Like, I gotta try and be patient. You know, it's not a work. It is a fruit. It's letting go. It's releasing to the Holy Spirit to do his work in our life. The point is anybody can display meekness and gentleness in their life, right? Anybody can do that. In fact, there's a benefit to that. Look at this verse, Proverbs 15.1. You might know somebody has no relationship with God. You could have an atheist, and, and they could live this verse out. A gentle or soft answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. You can be an atheist, and you can live that verse out, and you'll live with the benefits of it. But we're not talking about that, right? We're talking about the Holy Spirit doing a work in me and people seeing the Spirit in my meekness, in my response. That's the reality. And again, meekness can be most difficult when it is most important. And that's where the Holy Spirit comes in because when it's hardest to be meek, that's when the Spirit can take over and say, let's respond like Trent did to that great disappointment. And, and Trent can calm Abby down and, and, and Abby can understand why Trent is so calm and she can trust the Lord as well. Here's the, what's so difficult about meekness in these instances because meekness may be the exact opposite of how I feel like responding in the flesh. Like in, in the flesh, I just feel like getting angry. I just feel like this wasn't fair. I just feel like responding and, and having an outburst and telling somebody off. And, and, that's, and, and meekness is the exact opposite of how I might feel in the flesh and, and what I think I want, because I don't really want that. It's not what I want, but it's what I think I want. I just want to tell them off. I just want to get back at them. So that's really important. Uh, one individual said this. One young boy was asked about the meaning of Matthew 5.5, 5, right? Um, me, meaning of Matthew 5.5. 5. Who are the meek? His response should stick with us all. He said, those who give soft answers to rough questions. Pretty simple. Soft answers to rough questions. But there is a, meek, there is a myth here about meekness that we can kind of just get rid of right now off the top of the bat and it's this this idea that meekness or gentleness is a more feminine quality right we would tend to think well women they're, they're the gentle and they're the meek and you know and they're the nurturers and and even paul kind of speaks to this over in first thessalonians 2 he says but we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children so paul says yeah women are maybe wired to be nurturers and gentle and and you know they're they're softer and that's true but hey, he says, we, we were gentle. We had this, 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 this issue of meekness in our life, this quality of meekness in our life and the way we handled you. The greatest pushback, though, on meekness and gentleness being kind of like this feminine quality, the greatest pushback would be what? Well, it would be the fact that the, it's a fruit of the Spirit. And in the Bible, God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit, our friend, are all identified as being male. I'm not saying that God has a gender. God doesn't necessarily have a gender, but he is defined for us as a father, as a son, and the Holy Spirit is designed as being a he. As being, that's, that's the pronouns that he has given in Scripture. God has that, that male identification, and yet he is giving us the fruit of meekness in our life. So we can see right there how we can, we can dispel that simple myth. So, anyway... Any of us, the point here, any of us can be gentle and meek. It's not a quality reserved for the moms or for the women. 
And it is one of the premier ways the Holy Spirit wants to express himself through our life and it'll be incredibly powerful. If you can learn to respond to life in a meek way, it'll be incredibly powerful. Here's the second, second uh, truth this morning, second lesson. Meekness is others focused. The reason meekness is so powerful, the reason gentleness is so powerful is, is because it is other focused. Look what it says in verse 21 in our passage here. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you. Like that's the cross. At the cross, Christ was focused on you and we see his great meekness poured out as he is focused not on himself, but on you. There was a, a news story. A news story came up this week. Down in Alabama, a black pastor was out watering his neighbor's uh, plants. Maybe you heard this story, I don't know. And um, so, but the neighbor saw somebody at the... At, at, at this person's house and knew they were gone and uh, saw a car there and saw someone walking around the house so they called the police and the police came over and they approached this black man and, and uh, he, he said he was a pastor at some church and lived next door and uh, it turned kind of ugly it didn't have to and in fact I have to say the police was really gentle and really nice with the guy and uh, the guy got kind of a little defensive and belligerent early on. He just simply said, do you, do you have any ID? Can you show me your ID? Can you run home and get your ID? And, and just, he said, I don't have to show you my ID. I can be here. And uh, I was asked to be here. And So I looked at that situation. I watched the 20 minutes of body cam footage and it was really kind of sad. It didn't need to go where it, it went. And really, the pastor had just, this black pastor had just been a little more meek, focused on others, realizing that the police were doing their job. He said that they were racially profiling him. And um, no, they were just responding to a call from somebody in the neighborhood. And um, so it was kind of sad to watch this unfold. And I thought it's a great picture of how meekness can just keep something from escalating. Meekness can de-escalate a situation before it gets out of hands. And uh, so it's an, an interesting picture of this reality of being other-focused. Now, there's maybe reasons why he was acting the way he was, and we'll maybe touch on that as we go forward this morning. But look at these two scriptures here, right? Ephesians 4.1. I therefore a prisoner, says Paul, for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And you can notice all the fruit in that passage, all the fruits in there. We can see in there that meekness and humility are, or meekness or, or gentleness and humility are kind of like there's two different things going on there. We see all this fruit. It's all wrapped up in this issue of love in this passage. But there's a key phrase in here. That's, you find it over in the Colossians passage as well. This is so similar. Listen to this. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And that's what meekness does. Meekness bears with uh, those around us, bears with one another. Fact like this, meekness bears with others in a patient way. It bears with others in a patient way and it's not just focused on self. It's not just focused on me. It is focused on you, which is a picture of the cross, right? And Christ on the cross displays this meekness where he bears with all of humanity on the cross, where he bears our sins on the cross. It's an amazing thing to consider. Look at this verse too. Galatians 6, 1 and 2. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression... You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of 
gentleness or meekness. All of these, most of these verses today, it's the same Greek word employed here as we find back in the fruit of the Spirit. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And so we see here, right, that meekness deals with contentious issues in a loving way. Meekness deals with contentious, contentious issues in a loving way. It bears with others. It bears the burdens of other individuals. And here's another meekness we can dispel, right, about meekness. The meekness myth, meekness is non-confrontational. You ever think that, right? Well, a meek person doesn't confront things. He's non-confrontational. And, um, and uh, I've, you know, I've always said I'm not, I don't necessarily like confrontation. I like to avoid it. I'm one of those individuals. But meekness really is not non-confident. Meekness will confront issues, but it does so in a gentle and loving way. And I go back to that story of the pastor and the cop and the body cam footage that it just, just a little more meekness, a little more gentleness on both sides, on both parties, and things could have maybe gone a little better. But again, the pastor in that story faces the number one problem we all face. And my intent here is not to judge him because his story is so often our story. If you watch the video, his story is so often our story because we, here's what's going on at the core of meekness when we think about an other focus. It's simply this, right? Meekness surrenders our rights in a Christ-like way. Meekness will surrender our rights in a Christ-like way and how many of us are really good at surrendering our rights. Like I have the right to be here. I don't, have to show, I, don't, I don't have to show you my ID. I have the right to not show you my ID. And he just was putting down his rights. And if he had just surrendered those rights, nothing really would have come of the situation. And that's our story so often. If we would just surrender our rights in meekness like Christ did on the cross, he surrendered his rights. It wasn't a right thing that he hung on the cross and died. It wasn't a fair thing that he... But he did that in righteousness and he did that in meekness and humility and he did that for you and me to surrender our freedom. Brian Wilkerson, who is the pastor of Grace Lake, Grace Chapel in Lexington, Kentucky, he hearkens back to Jesus' sermon on the mount. Remember this verse, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. And he tells this fascinating story in regards to this verse. He says, Taylor University is a Christian college in Indiana. Years ago, they were, play, they were pleased to learn that an African student, Sam, was going to be enrolling in their school. This was before it was commonplace for international students to come to the U.S. to study. He was a bright young man with great promise, and, he, and, uh, and the school felt honored to have him. When he arrived on campus, the president of the university took him on a tour, showing him all the dorms. When the tour was over, the president asked Sam where he would like to live. The younger man replied, if there is a room that no one wants, give, me that, give that room to me. The president turned away in tears. Over the years, he had welcomed thousands of Christian men and women to the campus, and none had ever made such a request. If there is a room that no one wants, give that room to me. That's the kind of meekness Jesus talked about in the Beatitudes. If there is a job that no one wants to do, I'll do that job. If there's a kid that no one wants to eat lunch with, I'll eat with that kid. If there's a piece of toast that's burnt, I'll take that piece. If there's a parking space that's far away from the church, I'll park in that space. If there's a hardship someone has to endure, I'll take that hardship. If there's a sacrifice someone needs to make, I'll make that 
sacrifice. Meekness is powerful because it is so other-focused. It seeks to put others first, and it doesn't back down from necessary confrontation. See, meekness can be most difficult when it's most important. It's so hard to surrender our rights at the very time we need to surrender our rights so things don't escalate, so things can de-escalate, so Christ can be glorified. Here's a third truth. Really, meekness engages the spiritual battle. This might sound fascinating, right? Meekness engages the spiritual battle. But understand now, again, this is exactly what Jesus does on the cross. On the cross, he is fighting a spiritual battle. Here's what it says in verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. The holy and innocent took all that hell could throw at him on the cross, right, to set us free, to forgive us of our sins, to bring us to a place of righteousness. Now we see that if Jesus on the cross is a picture of meekness, this can help dispel Yet another meekness myth, that very common. Meekness is weakness, right? Like most people don't want to be meek because, well, meekness, that's, that's being weak. That's being, you know, that's like being timid. That's, and that's exactly opposite of what the scripture said. It's anything but weak. Someone once said it this way. If you think it's weak being meek, try being meek for a week. Yeah, that's, it's tough to be. This quality is so tough. and So it's not meekness, but it's a readiness and a willingness to engage in the spiritual battle that is all around us. Let me show you what it looks like in Scripture. Here's Paul writing to Timothy. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfast, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. That, that sounds almost like an oxymoron. Like, to get ready to fight the good fight of faith, pursue gentleness. <laughs> pursue meekness. And, and that just seems so countercultural to the world today. Really, this is almost like what Paul's saying, right? Paul fought the battles he faced with a gentle boldness. How about that? Like a gentle boldness kind of describes how Paul engaged the spiritual battles that he was in. Excuse me. In fact, look at this passage because he gets a little more specific in 1 Corinthians about the spiritual battle and we see this gentle boldness in this passage here. He, right into the Corinthians, I, Paul, myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I who am humble when face to face with you but bold towards you when I am away. I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. So he entreated them with meekness and gentleness. There's two different Greek words going on there, but there's that idea of meekness, and he was meek and he was bold at the same time. There's that gentle boldness we talked about. It's really fascinating because we would think they would be contradictory. If you're being bold, you're not being gentle. If you're being gentle, you're not being bold, and that's not the case. But he goes on here, and listen what he goes on to say then. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. One of our weapons is gentleness and meekness. Verse 5, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. So he's engaging the spiritual war and he's doing so with a spirit of meekness 
and gentleness and meekness and gentleness in the spiritual war and some of your arguments and some of your life situations can really disarm people. Like when you come at them with gentleness and meekness, it can really throw them off their game. They're not expecting you to respond in that way. You know, I was thinking, there are those who think right now we're already at war. Maybe you've heard this theory that we're at war right now, that World War III is going on right now. We don't even know it. It's an information war. And I remember I was thinking of, as I read this, I was thinking about something I saw a few months back, maybe four or five, six months ago now. Um, One of the news sources I was listening to was talking about our military actually has a division a specific division that fights irregular warfare. I never heard of that before. It was kind of fascinating. And uh, they fight irregular warfare and they fight like an information battle. That's what they said. And uh, they actually, there's a video circulating on the, <clears throat> on the internet. They put out this PSYOP video. This part of the department of our military that fights irregular war put out this PSYOP video and no one knows who it's aimed at, whether we're being PSYOPed or whether somebody else is. It's fascinating, but as I thought about that, I thought, that's what Paul's talking about here. Like, we are in this spiritual war, but we're fighting with irregular warfare. It's not like with guns and, 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 and tanks, and we're fighting an information war where we're taking captive every thought and every argument raised against Christ and the gospel, and we're taking them captive and... I think it's so powerful to stop and think about and how gentleness and meekness is so key to fighting this spiritual war. And it's so easy for us to lose sight of the fact that we are in a spiritual battle today, that there's a spiritual war all around us. Because again, we see the physical things. Like we understand war because we see, oh, we see what's going on in Ukraine and Russia and we think, well, that's war and there's a war going on there. But, but there is a spiritual battle and we can see it in our culture today, can't we? We see it all the more. We see things going on in our culture and we're like, what's going on? It's a spiritual battle. And so this, this idea of spiritual war can seem like an abstract theory that, that is, that, that is a, a kind of divorced from flesh and blood reality and yet there is a flesh and blood reality to the spiritual war and it's kind of hard to process sometimes. Kind of hard to process sometimes you know jesus started and ended his earthly ministry by going into the temple and and driving out the money changers and turning over the tables right he went in there very boldly and that's a picture of jesus being gentle or being meek and yet look what he did and and there's this word that has come up a lot for me this last year it seems like it's the word discernment as as i've been preaching this word discernment keeps coming up how do you fight the spiritual war with a spirit of gentleness and meekness well through the power of the holy spirit right it's a fruit of the spirit and the spirit gives us the discernment to know how to respond how to bear someone's burdens how to lift them up and um do it in a gentle and loving way. So glad the Holy Spirit knows how to work that. Because oftentimes, don't we look at situations and think, how do I handle this? How do I handle this in meekness and gentleness and stand up for what's right and fight the spiritual battle with irregular warfare? I don't know if that made sense to anybody. It made a lot of sense to me in my own life. We're fighting an irregular war, with, which is an information war. An information war. Today's big idea, again, meekness can be most difficult when it is most important when i most need to be meek that's when it's hardest and that's really the the best understanding of defining this issue of meekness here's a fourth truth today meekness never loses control meekness never loses control 
This is great. Meekness is not weakness, meaning meekness never loses control, which again makes it so powerful. And this is the amazing example that Jesus shows us on the cross. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. This takes us back to Isaiah 53, right? He was opposed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is before the, the shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was both the lion and the lamb. We sang it today, right? He's the lion, the bold lion, who is the gentle lamb. And here is the lamb. He just, just amazing how he does this. And, and everybody watching him get crucified on the cross and watching him give up his life and watching him hang and die there was just like amazed. Remember at the end, the one Roman centurion there was like, truly, this was the son of God. Like what he saw so smacked him in the face. Like no one would respond that way unless you were empowered by the Holy Spirit as Christ was hanging there on the cross and the Holy Spirit vindicated him and carried him through the crucifixion and it's an amazing, an amazing, he didn't defend himself, he didn't push back. It's just, just fascinating. Now, I have, have yet to really give us a good, simple definition of, of meekness, so let me do that now, and it's maybe a definition you've heard before. We talked about this, came up uh, Thursday night in our Bible study, but meekness really being defined is strength under control. It is a strength. It is an incredible strength. It is, the, it is I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me under control. And it's, it's pretty amazing to stop and think about the power of, of the resurrection bottled up in me and it's under control. And so I can control what's going on in my life through the Holy Spirit. And next week we talk about self-control, so we'll get into that probably a little more next week. But look at this from two sides a minute, right? Meekness doesn't respond emotionally. Like think of, think of anger, right? Like let's be honest, uh, the more angry we are, the more out of control we can normally be. Anger is one of those emotions that can easily elicit a response, and it's hard when we're angry to keep our emotions in check. Now, Trent seemed to do that in that opening story, right? Trent and Abby Trent was angry about the situation, disappointed, but he kept his emotions in check. The truth is, anger can be a powerful force when you learn to control it. Oh, it can be an incredibly powerful force. And, and do you think, do you think, for instance, Jesus ever felt anger? Well, yeah. And that's why he died on the cross. On the cross, what was God doing on the cross? Pouring out his anger. Pouring out his wrath on sin. Pouring it out on Jesus so he didn't have to pour it out on us. Ah, oh, it's an amazing thing. So he's angry, but he's under control. And, he, and he's not reviling, and he's not, he's not uh, defending himself, and he's not fighting back. He's not calling them names. None of that. How about fear, right? You think about not responding. How about fear? And fear, ironically, is what we experience when we feel like we are losing control. When I feel like I'm losing control, I feel fear. So this, there's this odd juxtaposition going on here, right? That meekness doesn't respond emotionally. That, that meekness keeps control of my emotions. And fear is the emotion I feel when I'm losing control. When I'm losing control of a circumstance or even my emotions, that can scare me. 
how great, how powerful. I look back at that pastor that got into that kind of that emotional altercation with the pleas again, and I wonder if fear wasn't at the heart of his response. Because when you watch the whole thing, he seems like a nice guy, and, and at one point he's like, well, arrest me if you have to. He's being real belligerent. And then a few minutes later, he's smiling and being really nice. And I wonder if fear wasn't at the heart of like, he was just afraid. And when we're afraid and when we feel like we're out of control, what's gonna happen? And, and the police were actually being, for the, I thought, being at first being really, really gentle and really nice with them. But fear will do that. Meekness doesn't respond to fear in that way. It does not give fear control. In fact, it reminds me of this verse, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Like the book ends there, right? There, there's the, 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 the bookends of, 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 of meekness and then of, of, of fear and meekness, the two contrasts. And uh, we can lean towards meekness. And then injustice, right? It's hard when we are treated unfairly to respond with meekness. Yeah, that's the point of meekness, right? In some ways, meekness needs injustice, disappointment, and hurt. It needs that kind of defi- to define itself because meekness is a response that looks at injustice and pain and hurt and responds in the countercultural, Holy Spirit-filled way. And again, I wonder if maybe that pastor wasn't dealing with some, maybe some, some feelings of injustice like I'm being treated unjustly and he responded. And I think that's all of us. All of us can fall into that trap and we don't feel like we're being treated fair. We stand up for our rights and say, hey, wait, but, but meekness surrenders its rights. One of the greatest stories in the Bible that really shows us a good picture of this meekness, it's a fascinating story, is the story of David. A couple weeks ago when Charlie Young was here and, and he was talking about Mephibosheth, right? And he told a little bit of this background story. But if you remember how it plays out is that <clears throat> Saul is the king of Israel And Saul was unfaithful as king, and so God comes along and tells Saul, okay, Saul, your time of being king is over. I'm going to replace you. In due time, I'm going to replace you. And um, I'm not going to replace you with your own son either, which usually the king's son took over in his place. Well, this wasn't going to be the case. Jonathan was not going to take over as king. He had gone and he had anointed David, the young shepherd boy, to be the next king. So what happens over the ensuing years is that this cat and mouse game ensues throughout the outside hills of Jerusalem there, I'm guessing is kind of where it was located, and Saul is trying to hunt down David and kill him. Well, if David's dead, then he can't be king. That's kind of his thoughts, right? How, how can anybody get to the point they think they can, you know, stand up and, 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 and beat God? But anyway, that, that's his theory, and so... Listen to this encounter in 1 Samuel 24. It's fascinating. When Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of, the, out of Israel, all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goats' rocks. And he came to the sheepfolds by the way where there was a cave and Saul went in to relieve himself. Picture that, okay. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. So he goes into this cave to kind of, you know, relieve himself. And David's in the cave. And the men of David said to him, Here is the day which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hands, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. Then David arose and stealthily cut off the corner of Saul's robe. And then listen to this. And afterward, David's heart struck him. 
because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to, to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. And what an amazing thing, because here, the meekness of David is like, he wouldn't even kill Saul, and he felt guilty because he cut the corner of his robe off. I mean, just that. He's like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. What's fascinating, as the story unfolds then, Saul leaves, and then David follows him out, and David, hey, Saul! (laughs) Hey, you want this corner of your robe? It's like, I could have killed you, but I didn't kill you. The Lord prevented me from killing you. I'm not supposed to. And Saul cries tears, and, and Saul says, oh, you're a better man than me, David, and I'll, I'll never try to kill you again, and I'm so sorry. You're, you, you repaid me with kindness. I repaid you with evil. And then two chapters later in verse 26, he's trying to kill David again. So much for the tears, right? I guess those are crocodile tears, right, Mom? All right. Not very sincere, not very sincere so the reality is is that that david didn't respond emotionally but he he responded in the spirit and then meekness also doesn't oh we don't need that verse so anyway meekness uh at the same time doesn't respond rationally because anybody would say the rational thing to do david is kill your enemy he's trying to kill you kill him first all his, all his men are there like, David, this is your chance to kill David. This is your chance to kill Saul and get him out of the... And David doesn't respond. He's irrational in his actions. Kind of like Trent at the opening story. was kind of irrational. Came home. I'm at peace. It's okay. God's in control. And his wife's like, you should have told him off. That was not fair. That was not fair. So meekness doesn't respond rationally, but it responds in the Holy Spirit in an, in an irrational way. But it is rational to the Holy Spirit. It's rational to the character and to the fruit of the Spirit. Now the question is, you might ask is, how did David do that? How did David respond that way? Well, it's found in our very next lesson here, verse 23. Look at verse 23. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. He didn't call anybody out, call anybody names. He he didn't defend himself, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Here's what you need to know about meekness. Last lesson today, simply this. Meekness is built on trust. Meekness is built on trust. Meekness can respond the way it does with such great self-control because meekness is trusting in God. It's trusting in the Heavenly Father. And that's exactly what Jesus does on the cross he was entrusting himself to the father jesus didn't respond the way he did because he was god again he didn't pull out his god card on the cross and say i'm faithful and true i can do this no he trusted god he was empowered by the spirit just as you and i are to be today and here's the reality the deeper your trust of god the sweeter the fruit of meekness will be in your life I mean, just think about it. You ever had like, you get one of the most juiciest uh, muskmelons. You ever had that? And you take a big bite of muskmelon and the juices drip down your chin and all over your, you know, or or a big bite of watermelon and you bite it and the juices just explode all over your face, right? Everybody's everybody's hungry for muskmelon now, right? but, But that's the reality in our walk with Christ, Right? 
My point is that meekness can be one of the sweetest spiritual fruits in our basket because when we are bearing it, we don't have to respond to every hurt, every injustice, every wrong, every emotion. In fact, I believe that meekness can turn uh, our hate into love, our fear into peace, our anger into joy, our injustice into goodness. It has the ability to do that, all because meekness knows how to put their trust in God. And this is really where meekness, again, as a fruit versus a work comes into into play. Because a work is something I'm doing, but meekness, this fruit, is when I am trusting. I'm trusting in God. I put all my trust in God that He is faithful, that He has got things in control, and, and this allows my meekness to be far greater than you know, that atheist who, who's just trying to be gentle and trying to be in his own power. Because I can trust in God because he can be the empowerment behind my meekness and my gentleness. How much more genuine can my meekness not be? Let me give you one example here. First Samuel 26, 8, here's two chapters later, as I said, then Abishai said to David, God has given your enemy into your hand this day. Now please let me pin him to the earth with one stroke of the spear and I will not strike him twice. But David said to Abishai, do not destroy him for who can put out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? And David said, listen to his reasoning, as the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him or his day will come to die or he will go down into battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should put out my hand against the Lord's uh, anointed. And so David simply said, if God wants him dead, God can kill him. That's an amazing sort of trust and that's where his self-control came from and that's where his meekness came from because he was trusting God. In the end, it is this trust that allows us to stay calm, keep our strength and emotions under control and display this Christ-like meekness. So what we learned today Meekness can be most difficult when it is most important. When it's hardest to be meek, that's when we need to be meek. That's what meek is. Meek takes us through those difficult circumstances, situations, and relationships. We learned today that meekness is the fruit and expression of the Holy Spirit. That meekness is others-focused and that meekness engages the spiritual battle. That meekness never loses control and that meekness is built on trust. Now there's so much more we could say about meekness. The Bible has so much more to say. I didn't tell you about Moses. Moses, in the Old Testament, it says this. Now the man, Moses, was very meek, more than all the people who were on the face of the earth. How about that? And you can read his story and how meek he was. And it's, what's encouraging about that is that Moses wasn't perfect. In fact, there were times when Moses needed meekness and didn't display it. He didn't go into the promised land because he failed when he needed meekness the most. But the reality is, God looked at him, and there's a story behind that of what unfolds, and he just says Moses was the meekest man of his day. And that should encourage us. Today's message, though, has really surrounded the life of Jesus. And here's the thing to remember about Christ and the gospel. Always remember this, right? The gospel is not about you giving your life to Christ. It is about what? It is about about Christ giving his life to you. In conclusion, right? It is about Christ giving his life to you. Look at this verse. Come to me, Matthew 11, 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. 
and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Vindicated by the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit, Jesus lived a life of gentleness. He was lowly in heart, and he, of course, is our example. And so the gospel, again, is not me giving my life to Christ. It is him giving his life to me, the one who is gentle and lowly and meek gives me his life so I can be gentle and lowly and meek. And I have the Holy Spirit so I know the discernment of what that looks like in my life. How about that? And so then I can learn from him. I can learn from the one. I can, I can learn from him. Jesus the gentle gives his life to me. Now I can learn from him what it looks like to live a life of meekness and gentleness. There's one other thing that we could have got into today and just didn't have time to go there. It's in 1 Peter 3. You want to read it this week, you can. But 1 Peter 3, here's what Peter tells us, is that meekness makes the gospel attractive. Meekness makes the gospel attractive. And and the most significant thing you and I can do, right, is to lead someone to Christ so that Christ can give their life to him. That's the most significant thing you can do in your life. And the most effective way to do that is through meekness and gentleness. It's not arguing someone to Jesus and, and, and arguing why they need to come to Christ, and, and, uh, but it's gentleness and meekness, just walking them there gently and in introducing them to Christ. One of the reasons why this is so effective in the gospel is because it's so, it's so countercultural. Most people are not living their lives with another's focus. They're not surrendering their rights. They're not controlling their emotions, and they're not at peace with trusting God like Trent was in his circumstance. Which means that when we live a life that is a life marked by genuine meekness, it gets people's attention and it catches their eye. So I heard one last story today I'll share as we close. I don't know if this individual is saved. I kind of think he probably is. He credits in this story, in another interview, he credits his success with a lesson he learned from his pastor at, at a church when he was living in St. Louis. He now lives in L.A. It's the story of a black man, L.A. Sheriff's Deputy Elton Simons. By the very nature of the business, L.A. Uh, LA County traffic cops receive plenty of complaints about their work. After all, most motorists don't think they deserve a ticket. Each complaint then gets documented and placed in an officer's personal file. Now, file. now here's the shocking thing about Deputy, Deputy Elman Simons. He has made over 25,000 traffic stops and cited thousands of motorists with traffic violations over the past 20 years. And uh, Captain Pat Maxwell was looking through his file and was stunned. There was not one, there was not one critical note in his file. There was not one single complaint on his record, not one. He found plenty of commendations, but not a single complaint. It was such a shocking story that a CBS news crew was assigned to follow Simons in an attempt, in an attempt to learn his secret. First, they noticed Simons' pitch-perfect mix of authority and diplomacy without a trace of arrogance or self-righteousness. Of course, Simons still hands out plenty of tickets. They just don't come with the standard guilt trip. And he described his approach. He said, when I stop somebody, it's like I'm not up here and they're down here. Like, we're here. We're on the same level. I don't look down on people. I don't make them feel less than me. That was his whole approach. He said, it's just, that's just what I learned from this pastor back in St. Louis. He says, I can't stand it when people look down on me, so I don't look down at you. 
A driver who got a ticket from Simmons that day agreed. The driver said, you know what it is, it's his smile. How could you be mad at that guy? Apparently you can't, concluded the CBS News team. Time after time, ticket after ticket, we saw Officer Simmons meld away a polarized camp of preconceptions and his boss claims there's a lesson in there for hard-nosed cops everywhere. What an, ama- what an amazing story, right? To, 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 to write all thousands and just be the one guy, just one guy who never, nobody ever complained. That is a spirit of gentleness and meekness. Let's pray. God, thank you. I don't know what the week holds for any of us in this room, let alone myself. You do. And you know how powerful gentleness and meekness will be this week as we engage different people, as we engage different circumstances. If we can learn to respond in the gentleness and humility of the Spirit. Again, it's not, okay, I have to try really hard to be gentle and bite my tongue and be... It's just surrendering. It's relaxing in the Holy Spirit, surrendering to you, knowing that you live within us and you want to bear your fruit through us. So Lord, I pray this week, you'll bless everyone on their way. Help us all understand how this message applies to us where we can apply it to our life. Where do I need to be more gentle? Where do I need to be more meek and more humble and more like Christ? And thank you, Jesus for the example you showed us at the cross. May we follow your example this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.